This is the Forgotten Ways Podcast, the show where we explore what it looks like to both love God and honor the earth. Join me, Brandon Scott Elrod, in fun interviews with friends who are clergy, philosophers, politicians, business owners, and regular folks like you and me, who are all learning and growing in both our faith and our environmental stewardship. Welcome again to the Forgotten Ways Podcast. This is Brandon Elrod, and I'm joined today by my friend Matt Davis. Hello, everyone. Matt is a longtime friend of mine. Matt has a master's degree in Christian education and has served for many years as a pastor, as a board president for a nonprofit, a biblical studies tour leader, camp speaker, and independent consultant. Matt is a an incredibly gifted individual who comes from a Jewish heritage, and that always gives him a really great perspective on the scriptures, on Christianity, and on conversation. So uh, welcome to the show, Matt. Thanks. So today we are tackling a small topic, really narrow niche topic of... You barely can find it anywhere <laughs> in the Bible. It's a piece of cake. Uh, the effect of certain end times beliefs that Christians hold and how that impacts their view on environmental stewardship and how much they should or shouldn't have to participate or get involved. Um, is that uh, is that a good way to sum it up? Yeah, we should wrap this in like five minutes. Should be this, this will be quick. Yeah, no problem. Um, the basic thing that, that hits me um, that unfortunately I, I, I see often is this idea that we shouldn't really have to care or get too involved with uh, taking care of the environment, whatever that means. That's such a broad statement anyway. Yeah. But I shouldn't really have to care because ultimately when it all comes down to it, the earth is going to burn anyway. Nothing's going to remain. God's going to destroy it and then start over. Uh, the earth is cursed from Genesis. It's full of sin anyway. So it's kind of irredeemable, and he's just going to have to start from scratch yeah. at some point in the future. Is that, does that sound like an accurate summary for some folks? Yeah, it's scorched earth. Scorched earth theology. Scorched earth right? theology. Yeah, that sounds about right. And um, you know, when you take that, when you lock into that as your belief, and that drives much of what you do or how you do things uh, in your faith, then... It's kind of a get out of class free card. You know, you just right. don't have to participate. You don't have to be a citizen. You don't have to be, you know, part of the world. You don't have to take care of the plot of land where you live and breathe and sleep. Yeah. Um, now that's that's an extreme statement, and most people don't don't exploit that. I think most people who hold to that just just don't get involved. But we know what it's like. Uh, if you've ever driven a rental car <laughs> <laughs> i see where this is I, going I, i'm careful right with my car yeah uh I, i'm gonna i'm gonna drive the speed limit for the most part i go with the flow of traffic is what i say but that's uh, I, i'm careful I, I remember you know like when we brought our, our kids home for the very first time from the hospital you just want this like protection over you but you get a rental car you just kind of gun it a little bit more and and, and it's the same feeling. So we, we do this with, with lots of different things, but I, I don't care about the rental car. And, you know, because we're, we're going to hit it, the, the transmission, I can, I can, let's see what this baby's got. Because in the end, I give it back and I don't ever have to worry about it yeah. again. And so, yeah, I do think that we, we have this picture. And, and the question is, 
is this even biblical? It's all going to burn anyway. Right. So, go ahead. And, and I think that's been presented as like gospel truth. That is fact. Yeah. Um, in in the in the last century, perhaps of the church, that has been taken by many people as kind of the default belief. Yeah. Um, but you know, as we look across centuries, as we look across uh, regions of the church, the Eastern Church, Orthodoxy, that's not necessarily what the church as a whole uh, believes and, and holds to. Yeah. But in our Western American context, that is pretty prevalent for a lot of a lot of folks. And we reason, I wouldn't put it past God. He destroyed the earth once. There was that flood, and he said, I'm not going to do that again, and now we have rainbows to remember that right. by. But if, if he's done it once, way back in Genesis 6, where he said, I, I regret even making mm-hmm. mankind, I mean, surely we are living in an age where there is some purification and some restart that's needed. And so... This time, is it really with fire, and is that even a biblical concept? Yeah, so that's that's some of what we're going to look into and, and talk about today, I- including the, this idea of destruction of the earth. Is it even what we think that it is? Yeah. Is it does it serve the purpose that we believe that it serves? So we're gonna we're gonna get into it. So one of the you know places where where people starts. Uh, where people start is in in Revelation, and you know people joke around that you can't really understand Revelation. It's all prophecy. You can't really tell. You know, you you have to default to a a perspective. I'm I'm a pre-tribulation or mid or post or amillennialist or preterist or you know all of the major views of when. The end times are going to happen. What it's going to look like? Choose who's your going to own be ending, there? Right? Choose your own ending. Absolutely. And so, um, but there's all this apocalyptic language in the Book of Revelation about um, you know terrible things happening right, and bulls and dragons and trumpets and yeah and destruction happening and pandemonium. And uh, so we kind of want to walk through a few of those points. Because I think a lot of us just assume that Revelation and end times imagery as a whole uh, is leading to one inevitable outcome. And that is that the earth is going to blow up like the Death Star and um, God's going to have to make a new one. Because yep. he said he's going to make a new one. Yes. And that, I think, is the assumption. So let's, let's walk through a handful of, of points that are out of Revelation, and they are specifically talking about elements of, of the created world. Okay. So we have Revelation 8, verse 7. Uh, and in that, a third of the earth and the trees were burned up and all the green grass. So that's one. Um, Revelation 9, 4, we have a little different direction. We have a plague of locusts that's commanded to not harm any grass or plant or tree. So one side is a small amount or a certain percentage is allowed to be damaged. But in that next passage, there's restrictions. There's protection over plant life. Um, we have Revelation eleven fifteen, where it talks about the kingdom of the world transitioning and becoming the kingdom of our Lord and Messiah. So this ownership of the earth, yeah. 
God kind of locking in, bringing it in even further, tighter, closer to himself. Uh, a strange passage in Revelation eleven eighteen says, The time has come, and it ends the thought with this wording, for destroying those who destroy the earth. That's not one that's taught about in church. I, I like to tell that to my kids anytime they throw gum on the ground or they litter. <laughs> and, hey, you know... Let's look at Revelation 11 again. Quick Bible study. Yeah. Um, Revelation 16, 3 and 4, the sea, rivers, and springs turning to blood. Revelation 21, 1, there's a new heaven and new earth. The first had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Uh, We have 2 Peter 3, 10. Yeah. And that's going to introduce a concept that I'm going to ask Matt to speak into, this, this notion of the day of the Lord. So the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Yep. So it's kind of all over the place as far as what's actually going to happen if this is literal. Is the whole place going to blow up? Right. Or is some protected, some preserved? So let's talk about the day of the Lord concept. What is, where did, how far back does that go? Uh, you, you have the, the minor prophets. You have Joel, who's talking about it constantly. You have Malachi that's talking about it. But these these Old Testament prophets are saying, hey, there is a day that is coming. Now, we, we could have some differences in, in how we look at the timeline. And so there is like a conservative theological approach. But that this day of the Lord is the day where God is going to make all things right. And, and with any of these bigger things, and I find that I do this in just regular parts of my life, uh, we, we start with the macro, right? And the macro is that, well, it's all going to burn anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right, well, is there any credence to that? And now we have to go from the macro. We see the forest, and now we're going to find ourselves in the middle of the forest. And we're in all of the trees, and we're looking. And I think sometimes we just get into the forest, and we're all, oh, I'm lost. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and we call in the helicopter. They send down the chain, and like, yeah. just pull me out of here. here. And we don't go back to that forest. And so I, I do think that there is... Yes, it's confusing. It's hard, even as a seminary graduate and having studied this and gone through all of it, um, that it, it still gets very messy. And so I, I'd like to ask the question and kind of sit with the question of what, what's the purpose? Mm-hmm. What, what is the big story with all of this? And, and truly, does God care about the world? And, and is he going to blow it up? And it gets back to this, this idea and notion, well, he's done it before. Right. He did it with floods, um, and, and we talk about, well, could, could something actually turn? Could the seas turn to blood? Um, could that? Well, the Nile did, and, mm-hmm. and so what do, we, what do we do with this? Is God capable? Is God powerful enough to do all of that? And so I, I love the passage in 2 Peter 3, and, and Peter uh, talks about this. He's, he's, I mean, he was very incendiary as it was as, as, a, as a person. Um, but he says this in 2 Peter 3, in verse 1, he says, I've written both of these, these letters. This is his second letter now. Mm-hmm. I've written both of these as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. Okay, here's some purpose in it. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. So this is going to harken back. Hey, people of Israel, the, the Roman world as you know it even today, what, what, uh, what, what is it that we're supposed to pay attention to? Well, there's a day of the Lord that's coming. 
Understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. And again, I can't help but go back to Genesis and there were scoffers mm-hmm. making fun of Noah while the clouds are starting to form, right? right. Like all, all during that time. Where is this coming? He promised, even since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. It's, there's nothing changing. Let's, don't worry about global warming. Don't worry about the yeah. seas rising. Like everything is, and it's very easy to sit in the world and say, well, not really impacting me all mm-hmm. that much. I don't have beachfront property. I'm not, I'm not worried about mm-hmm. all of that. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, Mm. being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. And even Peter gives us this the bookends of how this is all working, right? Mm-hmm. We know about deluge. We heard about it. Water breaks from the surface of the, from the deeps of the earth, from the depths of the earth. And then you have, there's a day that is reserved for fire. Um, and those are our fears, right? Like there's yeah. not much escaping. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to be burned. And don't forget this one thing with the Lord. A day is like a thousand years, a thousand years like a day. Um, the Lord is not slow. So God, God is on a path. We just don't know his timing. And then, and then it says, the heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. It's, it's this picture of there is, there is an exposure. You're, you're laid bare. And what is the purpose of it? And, and so this idea that, that the earth is going to burn up is not biblically unfounded. We, we read this here, and it's... It's, it's Peter saying, what, what, is, what does Peter mean when he says that it'll be destroyed by fire and, and laid bare? Um, and so I, I want to think through even the purpose of the fire um, is more of a purifying um, rather than a destruction. Okay. Um, and so what is the purpose of that? In the presence of God and the Holy Spirit, they're associated with fire. Our God is a consuming fire. Um, but that doesn't mean that God's going to come. And if you come in contact with God, that he's actually going to destroy you. Um, but it transforms you. It burns away the, the parts of the creation um, that, that's on the outside to reveal what, what Christ is forming on, on the inside. Um, but Peter feels a little bit obsessed with fire. Um, and John is, <laughs> is talking about some of this. And, and there is a, a testing that takes place that the fire is going to reveal um, the genuineness of your faith. Um, there's of greater worth than gold. There's things that will be tested, and there are things that wood, hay, straw. These are stubble. They will. Mm-hmm. They won't last. But there are things that will will last, and they will make it through. Um, and and Malachi, he says this at the end of the Old Testament. He says, "Who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap." He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Uh, and so we have a picture of there is, there is some, something that is going to be happening, and it is the purifying fire. And I, I believe if you put this in an eschatological timeline that mm-hmm. this purification is coming, this day of the Lord is coming uh, at the end of what we would call the thousand year reign or the millennial kingdom, Mm -hmm. where Jesus is on his throne here in earth 
and he is ruling over the nations. And there are some things that are different in creation during this time than at any other time in the existence of, of the earth that's been created. Right, right. So, so then this, uh, you're talking about fire potentially in the context of, of God's presence um, in a purifying if that's the case, then what is potentially, in the story of Revelation, what is fire purifying at that point? Uh, I would say the ungodliness. It's, it's, it's purifying um, those who, have, uh, who are shaking their fists at God and they stand in, in defiance of who he is and what he is. And, and it, it's almost... Um, so there, there's a difference between... Uh, I, I thought about... I forgot about this. I wanted to... Um, You've heard of an eruption. Think of an eruption, an eruption uh, coming out of a volcano. We just mm-hmm. had a, a volcano that went off of what, New Zealand yeah. uh, and, and tragically killed some people. Um, but that eruption is E-R-U-P. Uh, but that, that, that eruption is something that takes place from the inside and through pressure. It erupts and it, it comes to the outside. Mm-hmm. Um, Bruce Waltke, he's a, a professor up at Regent University and he, he gives a different kind of eruption, and it's, it's not E-R-U, it's I-R-R-U-P. Okay. And that eruption is, is more uh, of something, if you have the E eruption with the E, that's from the inside out, and mm-hmm. eruption, I-R-R eruption, is, is something that there's a force from the outside that makes its way in. Hmm. And I think that as we see the fall in Genesis 3, that there is, there is man, mankind through our, through our sinfulness, um, we've messed things up. And God, from the outside in, erupts and he, he makes a path towards us from the outside and he comes in. And, and I would say that we have, we have the presentation that God becomes man. It's the God man that Jesus yeah. shows up. To, to fix that which what we the thing that we've messed up yeah um, when I look at the the Genesis story um, and the fall I think we get stuck on uh, what happened in the fall was that man's relationship with God was broken and it was but that's not the whole story right what was also broken at the fall was our relationship with ourselves Mm-hmm. our relationship with others, yep. and our relationship with nature. Mm-hmm. And it was at that moment where we, we now become scared of, of bears and lions and tigers. Um, we now have to toil and we have to work mm-hmm. for the earth. And I believe that God is in the business of wanting to bring restoration. We know creation groans. Yeah. And so all is not as it should be. And so God is is trying to rebring to bring back um, the shalom that mm-hmm. we once had in the garden, and I believe that that is is the final that that new heavens and new earth mm-hmm. that is Revelation twenty one and twenty two language, and really that's the only place biblically that the new heavens and new earth that that concept shows up is just in those two chapters in the Bible. So it it, it sounds then, Matt, like you're you're portraying this as not it, it, so the the fire that consumes it this is this is not an act of destruction this is an act of of restoration purification restoration 
that that is the ultimate, you know, yeah, there's pain in the process, but this is, this is a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. So this isn't penalty and it's already so messed up. Just let it, you know, let it die yes. kind of thing. This is a, this is a purging. This is a restoring. Uh, it makes me think of, uh, like when we have forest fires, when we have brush fires, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it's, it's a problem when we have, when we have national forests that have become resort forests, cause now people live there and there's, you know, uh, skiing and all kinds of, you know, attractions. And so we, we have to protect this, but, but the natural cycle is absolutely fire. And there are certain plants that can only be germinated in fire. Yeah. And so if the fire never happens, then this ecosystem gets ruined. New, or life, new life can't come. It can't come. And so you have other species start to encroach that don't belong there. Right. Weeds, really, that, that take over. Um, you, you have to have that purifying element to restore and to maintain the original design intent for that forest of the right species and the right animals that are dependent on those tree species and and so on. That whole ecosystem has to have fire yeah. at some interval. And so there's there's new life that comes out of that. Um, yeah, there's there's loss that happens in the process. It it hurts. It, there's fear, but ultimately this is a, this is a really really good thing. And this is a really necessary thing. So that's what I hear when you when you frame it in this language of, yeah, the new heaven and new earth is the restored earth that we live on. Yep. And it is being refined by fire, whether it's literal or figurative, metaphorical, whatever it is, it's still going through refining and restoring process. Yeah. And we have to, we wrestle with kind of two, two different categories of thought. There, there are those in the world don't follow the way of Jesus, and they are looking at the earth. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter. And, and then there are there are also some, even within the Christian community, that yeah, the, the, the future, this prophecy, it's just so confusing. Like, I, it's just me and Jesus today. Um, what does all yeah. of this matter? It is, is my view on what happens in the final future of the world, of the earth, does it does it really matter? And I think that that would lend itself to impact our own understanding on creation care um, and stewardship. And mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of times this this conversation, this, this debate comes down, sometimes people just throw their hands up in the air. Well, it's all going to burn up anyways. Mm-hmm. If it's all going to burn up anyways, if that's the case... Uh, and the question is, if that's the case, if you know you're just you're going to die one day, right? Yeah. Hopefully you live 80 years on this. If everything's just going to be destroyed, even you and your body, then do whatever you want. Um, go out and smoke the pack of camels every mm-hmm. single day. But but we don't we don't do that necessarily. We uh, we're prone to destruction, self destruction, in, in some ways. But if everything's going to be destroyed. Um, the question is why? Why care about an Earth that has no future, right? Whatsoever, right? If if it's just going to be totally um, destroyed, but I, I do believe that Jesus was clear, and he said that those who follow him were called to love our neighbors. We're supposed to love the place mm-hmm. that the the call for us was to take the land and to cultivate it, right? And 
and we don't we don't do that as we should. And right. I think for us in the Christian community, even um, oftentimes we we could have. I, I just I grew up in a context where. Um, people who took care of the land and, and loved the trees and talked to the, those were the tree huggers and this mm-hmm. green piece and those, those right. are the crazy, crazy nut jobs. But I think that we have something to learn as the, as the Christian community to be able to say, um, that this, this is what matters. This is important. Um, I, I think that restoration is going to come. And I, I, you and I were talking a little bit earlier and, and there's, there's some hopefulness in this, um, and I love that it's this picture of going from death to life. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the cool passages is from Ezekiel 47. Um, and, and even before this, um, before this, e- Ezekiel 36. Um, in Ezekiel 36, God lays out his hope um, for his people. And he, he says, in the future, there's going to come a time. In Ezekiel 36, it says, uh, I will take you out of the nations and I will gather you from all the countries and I'll bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you'll be clean. I'll cleanse you from all your impurities and all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and I'll give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws and then listen. And then you will live in the land that I gave your ancestors and you will be my people and I will be your God. And this is, this is God's picture. And, and from a Jewish perspective, these are the fall feasts of Israel. This, this, I will regather you. It's the blowing of the trumpet or the shofar. It's Rosh Hashanah. When the, the feast of, of trumpets will be fulfilled at a certain time where God is going to bring all of his people back together. And then the other, the other uh, passage or holiday or feast that has yet to be fulfilled is, is Yom Kippur. It's this day of atonement. And God says, I will take out your heart of stone. I will, I will sprinkle you with clean water and you will be clean. It's the atonement mm-hmm. that God wants to take his people and he wants that cleansing to take place. And then he says, and he will one day fulfill the feast of Sukkot or tabernacles. And he says that I will be with you. I will place you in your land. You will be, you'll be my people. I will be your God. And that is really all that God wanted from the very beginning. God was content to be with Adam and Eve in the garden. And so we have that garden contrasted with another garden that gets set up at the end of the story. Mm-hmm. But this restoration will come. And later on in Ezekiel, in, in chapter 47, um, you have this vision that there is a river coming from the temple in Jerusalem. And you, you go over some of the hills, you get into the Judean wilderness, and you have this sea. It's called the Dead Sea. Um, nothing lives in it. It's, it's one of my favorite places to go because it's, it's a third of it is, is salt, right? So you can go in there and you just float. Right. Um, we've been in there. It's been fun. Uh, but the other thing I love about this body of water is I feel totally safe <laughs> because there's nothing like no <laughs> shark is going to come up and, and eat me. Um, I mean, there's lots of other ways to die in the Dead sure. Sea for sure. But the Dead Sea is not always going to be dead. Yeah. And this prophecy is a beautiful prophecy. Um, there's a man that brings Ezekiel back uh, to the entrance of the temple. And he says, I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple toward the east 
for the temple faced east, and the water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar, and this this angel brings Ezekiel out, brought me up out from the north gate, led me around to the outer gate facing east, and water was trickling from the south side. And he goes and he has a measuring line and he's measuring off all of this and the water is rising and it gets so deep that he can swim in it and there's a river now that's formed. It starts as this trickle and there's a river that's coming and he says, son of man, do you see this? And he led me back to the bank of the river and when I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on either side of the river and he said, this water flows toward the eastern region and it goes down to the Arabah. This is the Dead Sea area where it enters the Dead Sea. And when it empties into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large number of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. And this is the great part. When we were at the Dead Sea, did you ever see any fishermen? The fishing nope. industry does not exist at the Dead Sea, but get your fishing boats ready. It says fishermen will stand along the shore from Engedi to Englaim. There will be places for spreading nets. The fish will be of many kinds, like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea. And this is the picture of restoration. Mm-hmm. This is the picture of, of that time to come. And and that is God's ultimate goal is there is a restoration of all things not just man with his creator man with himself man with one another but that we will be at peace in creation creation will be made new well and hey it's it's happening um, because there are currently fish in some of the the edges of the Dead Sea in some of the little ponds around the the edge um, Divers have found plumes of fresh water coming from uh, uh, these these points of abyss in, mm-hmm. in the Dead Sea. Like like it started. Really, it's it awesome. is. It's happening. Um, we see some sinkholes that are coming, so maybe it's coming out from under those places. Yeah, it may be. Interesting. Yeah, pretty remarkable. So this prophecy is is kickstarted. Yeah. It's, it's happening. You know, and. It reminds me of this this other quote. You know, we're talking about a sea that is known for for death becoming life yeah. again, um, and this this notion of of the the earth that's going to be um, go through this this process that resembles death, maybe feels like death of mm-hmm. being consumed and purged by fire. Um, in this book, theology, creation, and environmental ethics by Whitney Bowman. Um, there's there's an interesting line in here. It says uh, it, addressing death and its its part in in the process of life as a whole. It says asking why there is death is a human question. Asking why people die of poverty and disease is a humane question. Hmm. Claiming that it is not fair that we must ever die may be a result of projecting the desire for certainty onto the conditions that make the gift of life possible at all. Hmm. And here's, here's the, the clincher that, that stood out to me. Part of the gift is also the gift of death. This, however, ought not to be understood as a justification for romanticizing death or leveling all death and destruction into something that is normal. But it is a gift of death. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's interesting to, to view that when we take away the punitive, the punitive quality to this end times process and we 
put on the filter instead of restoration, mm-hmm. and this is a restorative process, everything that's happening then, it, it takes on a much different meaning. It takes on a, it has a different value. Uh, instead of fear and dread, there's there's hope. There's excitement. So that that that, that stands out. Um, and he adds some of the other elements that we had touched on earlier out of Revelation, uh, like God holding back the locusts from devouring the plants and trees, and uh, don't touch those; those are those are protected; they're under my protection. Um, or even his his claiming, you know, there's lots of passages throughout Scripture where where he claims people, he claims a land. He says, it is mine. This land is mine and everything in it. Yeah. And that's kind of reinforced in Revelation eleven fifteen of this, this idea of him claiming this place as his kingdom, uh, his domain. And, and that's before the purging with fire. Hmm. You know, so there's, there's, it's, it's giving a dignity to the earth. Yeah. It's giving a value to the earth um, because he's claiming it. So when it, when it comes to other imagery, so we've talked about fire, um, there's other imagery like the, the sea. The sea is one that, that occurs quite a bit in Scripture. Um, and when it talks about there's no more sea in, in the restored uh, heaven and earth, um, can you talk a little bit about what, what that could represent? Well, you, you have the sea that is typically represented in Scripture as chaos. Uh, you have storms that are at sea. The, mm-hmm. you, you have the picture of, of Jonah who is running away from God. And, and then you, you look at the picture of, of what God is up to, that God is appointing. He appoints a wind to come, and mm-hmm. he appoints a great fish to come and, and take Jonah. So, so there is a level of of fear with the sea, of, of this chaos that it gets entered. You have all of these fishermen that are on this tiny little sea of Galilee, and they, they more than once um, are in the middle of a storm, and, and they get scared. I, I yeah. was just on a cruise uh, last month, Ugh. and Marilee and I, uh, my <laughs> wife and I, we were... I, yeah, I'm not a fan. I mean, it's not only the cabin fever and, and all of you're, you're stuck there, but we, we it had, starts rocking at all. Yeah, I, you're I'm, just like I'm not enjoying that. Yeah, it's like a 14 story thing. I mean, right? like, how does this thing float and right. how does it not fall over and <laughs> all kinds of questions? If you just really sit down to think, like, what is my existence going? Yeah, that right is now? personification of chaos, right there. That is right. <laughs> and we we went out to the the front of the boat the bow i believe and we wanted to have like our titanic moment you know yeah jack and rose out there and i wanted to like you know i'm the king of the world and, yeah. and we went out there and it's at night and we just left the port in nasa and we were the only people out there there was a little bit of rain out there and we were the only ones out there and it's mm. it's pitch black there's 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 the moon that is just giving us enough of a reflection and we felt small mm. yeah and we felt like there was no control yep. of anything that could like this. This is a big and powerful. And when you start thinking like, well, almost three quarters of the Earth is is the sea, is the water. Yeah. And, and what is the landscape going to look like if if that is gone? Um, so yeah. what what are the implications? There's also no sun, and so God is the one who is illuminating all of these things. 
Um, so what th- this world is going to look different, and it's going to look unlike anything. So does that mean that there is no chaos, that, that we don't need, that there is a river that will be flowing through, and that, that river is, is one of life? Um, but I, I believe that this picture is one that, that is saying to us that, that God is the provider and the sustainer of all. And in this creation, what will happen is we get back to his intent in Genesis 1, over and over, God God said everything that he spoke into existence, into the universe, universe meaning single spoken word, right? And so God speaks everything. And after every day, it says it was evening and it was morning on the first day. And everything that God saw, he said it was good. Mm. God saw it was good. Yeah. And, and God wants to bring all of that back. Um, N.T. Wright mm-hmm. has a quote, and he he talks about this. He says, as with the rest of the New Testament, Peter's not saying that the present world of space, time, and matter is going to be burnt up and destroyed. That is more like the view of ancient Stoicism and of some modern ideas too. What will happen, as many early Christian teachers said, is that some sort of fire, literal or metaphorical, will come upon the whole earth not to destroy, but to test everything out mm. and to purify it by burning up everything that does not meet the test. Yeah. I believe that God is pushing us towards this new creation, um, this new heavens and earth, where we have the same dependence as the Israelites did in the wilderness, that he is all we have and he is all we need, and, and he will um, sustain us, that, that our dependence will be on him. And we will get to live in the goodness that he intended for us originally. Hmm. That's, yeah, that's a beautiful thought. You know, it, circling back around to, to the, what you shared earlier about, um, you know, if you knew that you were going to die, if you knew that it was all coming to an end, what would you do? And, you know, there's definitely the folks that, they're going to do nothing. They're going to lament or they're going to be in fear. Um, there's, you know, the the people that are going to view everything as, as meaningless and not worth, not worth it. Um, sort of the, you know, Ecclesiastes <laughs> person. Everything's vain. It's a vapor. You, but I, I think you're going to have the the other perspective, and this you know is feeling like where this is this whole conversation is going is the healthier perspective of, um, okay, what can I fit in? Mm-hmm. How do I make the most of my time, knowing that the end is near? And obviously, this is a very real question for some some folks, but even figuratively, as we're looking at this, it makes me think of that that quote from uh, from Shawshank Redemption. Mm-hmm. Uh, either get busy living or get busy dying. That's right. And as simple as it is, and you know, kind of reappropriating it for this this conversation, if there is this day of judgment on the horizon at some point, if God is planning a restorative, purgative, regenerative kind of event, how how do I respond? How do I prepare for that? How do I anticipate that? How do I look forward to it? How do I join him in it in my small way at my point in time? If he's wanting to restore the earth and he's got a method to that end, then what might my efforts look like to respect that, honor that, or better yet, join in the restoring of all things? Yeah. 
I, I think sometimes I just feel overwhelmed by the the need that is out there, and mm. and you almost want to throw in the towel because what do I have to offer? It, it's the it's the the starfish illustration, right? All the starfish that wash up on the beach, and and there's the kid that's trying to throw all the starship starfish back into the ocean to save their lives, right? And like. And somebody comes up, well, what are you doing? And he picks it up and says, well, it matters to this one. And I think of Mother Teresa that says, do small things with great love. Mm. I, I, I personally, I, I don't know if I'm going to actually be the one who <laughs> changes everything on earth. And I'm not sure that I, I need to. I, my, my kids watch uh, some YouTube star named Mr. Beast. And his goal is he wants to plant 20 million trees. Mm-hmm. 20 million? 200 million. Something crazy, an mm-hmm. astronomical number. And he's raising funds to, to plant this. Well, God bless him for doing that. And that that is a phenomenal thing. I, I think that the question comes to us every single time. I think I talked about this last time I was here. I, I, I love going back to Matthew 25, where Jesus talks about a businessman. He gives his servants some money and says, I want you to invest this. I want you to take mm-hmm. care of this. And there were two of the servants that they take the money and they cause it to flourish. And, and there's beauty that comes from that. And there's a third that buries it in the ground and never gives it a second thought. Who cares, right? Just bury it. And business owner returns from his journey. He settles his accounts. And the ones that cared for what he left in their charge, he rewards. Mm-hmm. And the one who ignored the responsibility was cursed. Mm-hmm. And so I think... There's a master that's going to return one day, and Jesus is going to ask us the same thing. He's going to ask us a very direct question. What did you do with all the stuff that I left in your care? Mm-hmm. And what did you do with the people that I brought into your path? What did you do with the needs in your community that you had the ability to meet? What did you do with the creation that I called good that I asked you to care for? Mm-hmm. And with all those things, no matter what happens to the earth at the end of time, whether it's destroyed or refined, uh, I think that this question has to be answered. And so I have to to live my life in such a way that I know that when that time comes, when it comes, and the nations will be stirred up and the dead will be judged in time for God, to, he will reward his bondservants um, who feared his name, um, or, or he won't. <laughs> yeah. um, that I think what we believe matters and how we live out what we believe matters too. Yeah. And so the call is, what is it that is right in front of me and what can I do today to care for what I have? Yeah, and, and a very practical and, I don't know, the word gentle comes to mind. I don't, I don't know why that feels like an appropriate word right now, but um, is as we approach the small things and the small moments of our daily life, um, to do it with God. Right, that concept of, of walking with him, of abiding, of hearing his voice, of inquiring of him, and uh, and I just I like that perspective of being aware mm. of his presence, his priority, his purpose, and perhaps that is out in your garden. Mm. You know, with the notion of God, you 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 gave us this mandate to cultivate the earth and to rule it well. And I have this little teeny tiny patio with a few plants at my condominium. Like, how do I, how do I honor that that mandate in my two square feet of my soil? hydroponic garden? <laughs> yeah. Um, and what does it look like? More importantly, to do that with you. Mm. How do we do this together? What do you want to say to me 
like you did with our forefathers in the garden? How do I join you in the domain that you made, be able to filter out the noise and the distraction and everything that's man-made, and just how can I just have a moment with you right now and engage with you in the setting that you designed for us to engage with you in, Earth? You know, what stood out as, as we're talking about all the, these passages, Genesis Revelation, so much of this context and conversation in the scriptures occurs over land. Mm. And even as you were pointing out, that the, the big, the central part of, of God calling Israel out to be a people is the land. Yeah. Like that's almost everything. Yeah. It's, it's half the equation. Yeah. It's, it's God and the land. Well, he said, I will give you a land, seed, and blessing, right? Out of yeah. all of that. And so that land is important. It's huge. And we still fight over it. <laughs> we still do. Yeah, we do. So, to me, hearing this, this narrative, going through the scriptures, it just seems that land is a really big deal. What it represents is a big deal. How we encounter God in it is a big deal. Um, when it when we suffer consequence, it often comes through the land or nature as a whole. When we receive blessing, it often comes through the land, mm. through nature. Um, God's provision comes through nature. It's just such a central piece um, that it would it would appear that God just has cared from the beginning. He has been protective from the beginning. And there's a day coming, the day of the Lord, mm. whenever that is, where he is going to actively reclaim and renovate and restore this place that he's cared about so deeply for so long. Yeah. And he, sometimes we just underestimate his desire for us, that he is a good, what, what father gives his child bad gifts would, mm-hmm. would a father give his son a snake a serpent right that, that god we have to trust that it comes down to faith for me right like yeah. i have to trust that his will is good that what he made originally that's the same god that that wants to bring it back to that and it's that that is that is what keeps me hoping and that is that is the thrust of the story is we want to bring this back to, to shalom. We want to bring this back to that, mm. that peacefulness and that, that community with him in the place that he's created. Yeah. Well, that's a beautiful picture. So let's wrap it up with this thought that, that God cares deeply about this place and about us and how we interact with him in this place. And he has always cared. And his care is leading to a, a day of uh, restoring all things that we have an opportunity to be part of, um, even in our small ways at this, at this point in time when, when we live and exist. Yeah. So that would be my, my hope and, and invitation to Christians and to the church is to be able to think a little bit more thoughtfully through some of these, these assumptions that we've made. Um, perhaps some of these places where we've planted our flag that this is what I believe, but we haven't really thought through, is it accurate? Does it fit with all of scripture? Are we twisting anything? Mm -hmm. And to find some freedom to move beyond perhaps a, 
um, a skewed perspective that doesn't totally accurately represent the heart of God. I agree. I love it. Love you, bud. Thank you for joining us today. You bet. Thanks. All right. See you guys next time. You've been listening to the Forgotten Ways podcast with Brandon Scott Elrod. To find out more, visit ForgottenWays.org. Join us next time as we once again explore what it can look like to love God and respect the earth, beginning with our own heads, hearts, and homes.